Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. Lots of jobs on the job board this week, so here we go. Book of the Month is looking for a senior product designer in New York City. Coforma is looking for a UX designer slash researcher. This is for a remote position. Bandcamp is looking for a user experience designer. This is a remote position. Strava is looking for a senior production designer in San Francisco, California. Ithaca in Ann Arbor, Michigan is looking for a senior quality software engineer as well as a user researcher for their search and discovery teams. Both of these positions are remote. Sovos is looking for a UX designer in Boulder, Colorado. Vigit is looking for a creative designer in any of the following locations. Falls Church, Virginia, Durham, North Carolina, Boulder, Colorado, or Chattanooga, Tennessee. BuzzFeed is looking for a senior product designer for the BuzzFeed News team. This is a remote position. Hologram is looking for a head of design systems. This is a remote position for here in the U.S. Johnson & Johnson is looking for a content strategist in New York City, as well as a naming expert for a remote role. This is for a project in their consumer packaged goods division. And lastly, CarMax is looking for a senior visual systems designer, a senior UX researcher, and a senior product designer. These are all remote positions. For just $99, you can post your job listing with us and it'll be on our job board for 30 days and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. We also offer annual job board subscriptions. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on all these listings that I just uh, talked about. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, just like I've been reminding you for the past several weeks now, submissions are still open for Recognize. Now, the week that you're listening to this episode is the last week for you to submit. Okay, submissions are ending on May 2nd at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And now for those of you who may not know what Recognize is, let me just tell you what Recognize is. It's our design anthology that features voices from designers of color and indigenous designers. So think design commentary, design critique, etc. We do a different theme every year. The theme for 2021 is Reboot, and we're accepting essays of 3,000 words or less that fit that theme. So if this is sparking something in you, if you want to write something that has this theme in it, send it in. Again, submissions end on May 2nd at 5 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern, I should say. Visit recognize.design for more information and to submit your essay. Now let's take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. All right, let's get to this week's interview. My guest this week is Sean Mack an illustrator and graphic artist in Detroit, Michigan. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Sean Mack. I'm a graphic artist, illustrator, graphic designer, comic book artist, storyboard artist, and just all-around graphic artist, just mostly all art, basically. Okay. So uh, how are you feeling right now? How's the year gone so far? 
The year's been challenging. I've been trying my best to keep up with things, keep up with my craft, keep trying to stay the right path for the most part. I, I think I'm, I'm doing an okay job. Okay. Sound like, uh, what's the guy's name in Kung Fu that has to walk the path? I forget his name. Played by David Carradine. Oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. You're trying to, you're trying to walk the righteous path. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me about what kind of projects you're working on right now. Mostly freelancing at the moment. I just got done with a tribute comic for the rapper MF Dome. Um, oh, nice. It's nothing like anything official, but it's just like it's just like a nice small short story. That's just that just kind of covers his career in like a in an entertaining way. That I'm not too sure when that's coming out. It's still in the process of being being produced, but that should be coming out this year. And then uh, just a few freelance projects here and there, just a couple music stuff. Our uh, coverage for musicians and uh so on and so on were you a big mf doom fan i was i was i'm not like i wasn't like the biggest mf doom but i loved the music that he put put out it was just it was i don't want to say weird but it was weird it was it was weird it was eclectic it was something i had never heard before something i never heard put together before quite like the way he, he made music so when he died, I was like, ooh, that was a heavy one. So just to be able to do this comic was pretty it was pretty cool actually. Yeah. I mean the way the news came out, especially with his uh his wife saying he actually had passed away months prior and she had just oh, I yeah. guess waited until the end of the year to drop the news. Not many people know this, but for I think every episode, most episodes of Revision Path that I recorded here in my little makeshift studio, there's a 24 by 36 poster of Mad Villain <laughs> to my oh, right. Nice. I don't know if many people know how much of an MF Doom fan I am, but but yeah, when I heard that, man, that that got me. I got the action figure, I got all the CDs, I got the magnets, I got a bunch of stuff, MF Doom patches and stuff, man. Nice. What a loss. What a loss. How did you get involved with doing a tribute comic to him? So I am friends with her name is Maya Crown Williams. She actually was the person uh, who helped put it together. It's written by uh, a great writer by the name of Troy, Troy Allen. So she basically was the one who got me involved with the project because she's known me for over the years. She runs like a comic convention out in Detroit called MechaCon. And mm. I've done it uh, done it once, once before. And we've just been in touch over the years because she's she likes my work. She thinks she thinks I'm cool. <laughs> and uh, so when he was looking for artists, she hit me up to to you know do like a test drive for what would be like the final comic. And he liked what I did, and it was just like history from there on. We just knocked it out over the uh, I think the last month or so. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I worked on the art the last month or so, and right now it's still in like the post production stage of everything. So it was it turned out pretty good, I would say. Well, I, well, hopefully they you know put it up for sale or just have it online somewhere where people can take a look at it. Because I mean, he has a legion of fans around the world, me included. So that sounds oh, pretty yeah. dope. I've only seen like. A few of the the finished pages so far, and they look phenomenal. So I I really like how it's turning out. I think people will dig it. Yeah. Now you also you know you mentioned doing some like you know album covers, some music covers and stuff. You're kind of connected with a music company, is that right? Called Soul Star. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Music, Tell me about uh, that. Music. So Soul Star is actually Music Soulchild's uh, company. Oh, and that's like yeah, yeah. Music Soul Child. That's his uh his imprint for not only his um his regular Music Soul Child stuff, but sort of like his side passion projects as well. And I've actually had a chance to work on all facets of those uh projects, so that's been pretty cool to do. But yeah, that yeah, music. That's um that's music. I think his label is his label and his imprint at the same time. But yeah, 
Wow. I mean, that name takes me back all the way to, God, maybe freshman, sophomore year in college, the year 2000. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny you, you mentioned that because I know he's done, he's done some work with India RE. And, oh, my God, this was years ago. I had the designer for NDRE on the show, Denise Nicole Francis. This was years and years ago. I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you or not, but I know they've done some work together in terms of like doing design and imprint and stuff. So when you're working like with a label like that, I'm sure it's more than just like album covers and stuff. Like what all kind of stuff are you designing? It's been like his side projects and whatnot. I don't know if I can talk about one of them because there's is when we were still working on it, so it's still like in behind the scenes. But for the most part, I I did like um I had designs for logos, like certain badges for his certain personas, his musical personas. And that's where his side projects came in. So for instance, I had a badge for just music soul child, and then. There was a badge for well, his his persona called the Hustle, which is like his his rap kind of like rap hybrid persona, and then there was another one called P Wonderlove, Purple Wonderlove, and that was his like his kind of like Prince Prince funk inspired persona, and uh, I did badges for all of those. I also did uh, covers for for them as well. I did his latest, the latest album that came out, Feel the Real. I did the artwork for that one. And then his side projects, his Hustle side project and his P. Wonderlove side project, I did the art for that as well. Very cool. I can imagine like there's probably no shortage of kind of interesting and creative ideas that he can come up with. Oh. That now oh, I can yeah. just turn around and have you kind of work on it. That's pretty dope. The the thing I don't think people most people know about music is that he is a very very creative dude. He is also very I don't want to say nerdy, but he very much embraces like geek culture, and that's kind of how we connected through like our love for stuff like anime and, and and comics and whatnot. So in the stuff that I work for him, a lot of that influence shows. Like the, it showed in the concept and just the execution of it. So it that was a very cool thing to find out working with him. Now I first found out about you and your work years and years and years ago through Tumblr. Oh. You have a comic called The Revolutionary Times. Tell me yeah. about that. So The Revolutionary Times. We started it, well, it's a comic started by me and my, my longtime friend, Brandon Howard. He's the writer. I'm the artist. We started it back in 2008 while I was in still, still in college at the time. And, you know, we were just inspired by Boondocks was off the comic kind of thing for a while. It had ventured into TV shows. So we were just like... There's not many. There's not many black comic strips out at the time, mm-hmm. so we're just like let's let's start something. Let's let's start something. And you know, we were inspired by Boondocks. We were inspired by obviously the classics like Charlie Brown, um, Calvin and Hobbes. You know, and we just kind of put our own personal lives and mixed it with pop culture, mixed it with politics, and. It just turned into this comic that we've been doing for a while. It's it's been off and on, but we're we're still in the midst of trying to push you know more comics out. You know, where did that idea? I guess you you sort of alluded to it. Now you kind of were inspired by by the Boondocks and and other sorts of similar types of comics. But where did that idea kind of first come from? Outside of that, you just wanted to fill the void that you felt was left behind from those comics. Uh, yeah, yeah, because. Originally, it's all Brandon's idea. He came to me one day. He's like, man, you still drawing? I was like, I'm, I'm in college for it right now, yes. <laughs> so he's like, man, let's do a comic. I'm like, yeah, let's do a comic. And then he just came up with these ideas, these like 
references to pop culture, the politics are just just amazing and and I help with some of the the humor part of it as well. And the way it just flowed, it just it was just amazing. So originally, yeah, it was all Brandon. I was just the the guy with the pencil at the time. So <laughs> And you all have kind of still kept up with it. I think the latest one that I saw was, uh, <laughs> it was Medea protecting Harry and Megan <laughs> yes, from security yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, that was a quick one we had to, we had to put out because we, we just had to. It, it's, it's just one of the crazy stuff, one of the many crazy things that come across our minds that we say like, hey, let's make a comic about this. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I know that the Boondocks was supposed to come back on, on HBO Max last year. Maybe, hopefully, it'll happen this year. I mean, certainly. I would love to see what the next season would be, of just what they could sort of pull off. I personally don't count the fourth season of the Boondocks. Like, oh, no. the first three seasons were great. Season four, eh, eh, it was all right. It was okay. So I want to see what they come up with for the fifth season. Yeah, I think it's supposed to. I think they pushed it back to later this year. Yeah. I think, but I look at the fourth season of Boondocks the same way I look at all of that season, the third season of the Chappelle Show. I look at it the mm. same way as that. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, non non-existent in my mind yeah. or in my history. I mean, I rewatched it recently because, well, once I, I mean, I got HBO Max and I was going through it and everything. And I rewatched the fourth season just to see if maybe I missed something, you know? Cause I, I think I was watching it like everyone else was watching it on Twitter. Like, you know, they'll watch it and give commentary and stuff. Right. And it was not hidden at all. Like <laughs> they had that weird sort of like good times reference that like strung through the whole season. Like what the fuck was that about? That was it was not right. good. It was not good. <laughs> right. And then they tried to like spoof breaking bad. It, it was yeah. It was, weird. It, was, it was weird. Yeah, yeah. They were doing they were doing what I see sitcoms do when they run out of ideas and that they sort of start making up these sort of fantastical parodies. And it's right. like the show itself is already a bit of a fantastical parody. Like you don't need to Try to mimic something else. Like, yeah, like, why are they mimicking Breaking Bad? What's that about? They're just trying to cash in on that cultural moment? I don't know. It's just not good. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, I don't know what they're doing with the newest. I don't know if it's like a reboot season or I don't know. I don't know. I hope this one is a little bit more, more Aaron Magruderish. Yeah. I really hope he's out there like creating some heat because I mean, even Black Jesus was funny and then it was on this sort of like weird hiatus like you catch an episode here or there it was almost like steven universe like it, it didn't stay on like a regular schedule you just had to right. catch it when you could catch it so i i hope so man because so many people are missing just his humor and and everything so yeah I don't know. so when it comes to creating comics like what does your process look like well it depends for instance with revolutionary times the script itself the script writing itself is just more so me and brandon like Bouncing ideas back and forth recently, yeah. And then when it comes time for me to like actually create the work, you know, I I pull up all my uh, my references, background references, my character references, and I just have them in uh I have them set up in another monitor. I have like three monitors, so I have one monitor for my main art program. And then the others for like my reference to just look at while I work. So um, the process is basically just putting all that together to try and tell a story, you know, try to tell a cohesive story, sometimes with without words. And it's a long process. It can definitely be a long process, but I'm getting the hang of it, you know. When you say character references, what do you mean? Do you have like like a file with information on a character or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like if I'm, for instance, if I'm doing, if I'm drawing like Medea, I have like pictures pulled off from Google of like Medea, Tom Harry, or the, um, what are they called? Like the Royal Guards. I have them all set up on, on one screen just to glance at as I, 
is I sketch everything out to draw into the final, basically. Then I use that, you know, for if I'm coloring it, if I'm doing like the actual colors, I'm using that same picture as a palette to get the right colors, color uh, flats on the on the characters, basically. Mm, okay, I got you. What is the design scene like in Detroit? I've only had a handful of folks on the show that are in Detroit and working as designers, but like for you, what's the design scene like there? It's kind of hard for me to explain about it because this whole year I've been, well, everyone's been just kind of stuck inside. So yeah, it's kind of hard to to describe it. We have like our, our design firms and whatnot. And then you have like the, the freelancers, the people who are just like the wild guns of the design industry, you know. I would say that art-wise, Detroit is building a lot outside. Design-wise, there's, like I said, there's the firms. Art-wise, they have, like, there's a, what is it called? It's called Murals in a Market. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, they didn't do it this year, unfortunately, of course, but they have it set up in a place called Eastern Market, where they pull a bunch of murals painters from around the city they go around that that eastern market area and they're making murals on different buildings and it's just you get to see like the sea of different styles all around you and it's just one it's one of the most amazing things i've ever gotten a chance to see i hate that i couldn't it just wasn't a thing this year because of the pandemic but Mm -hmm. Art-wise, Detroit is just, it's booming quietly, but steadily, I would say. Yeah, we have something similar like that here down in Atlanta called Living Walls. It's sort of like a muralist oh. kind of like fest. Well, actually, it's a it's an art organization that they put on an event also called Living Walls. They sort of do little murals, not little murals, they're huge. They're on the sides of buildings and stuff. And of course, we have like underground artists and such that do all kinds of different interesting interpretations of murals like uh fabian williams uh, occasional superstar Mm. so i I live in the hood for folks that don't know that listen to atlanta i live in the west end and so there's a caribbean restaurant near me called mangoes and on the side of that building he'll do different sorts of just different sorts of uh, murals i think the last one i saw which had to have been prior to the pandemic (laughs) which lets you know how far i've gone outside my apartment it was martin luther king but it was in a i think he had like a like a high top fade and had like cuts on the side or something like that. So he, he's, he's done these like modern slash eighties ish interpretations of civil rights figures. There's like Coretta Scott King, but she's got like an asymmetrical Bob, like pepper from salt and pepper, something like that. Um, but yeah, Atlanta is a big kind of mural city like that, especially if you're downtown, if you go outside of downtown, like outside the perimeter, I can't be responsible for what you see once you leave outside of the actual city. But in the city itself, there's so much graffiti and murals and wall art and stuff like that. Yeah. I've been to Atlanta, I think once or twice, and I've saw I've seen some of the some of the graffiti there and it's amazing. So I I know I I get an idea of what you're talking about. Yeah. Now, before we get more, you know, into your career, you know, let's take it back to the beginning. Uh, in your bio, you mentioned that you grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. Tell me about that. Uh, Saginaw, Michigan. Saginaw, Michigan. Growing up in Saginaw, Michigan is, well, was an experience. It was, Saginaw is a very small town. And, um, well, I take that back. It's not a small town, but if you compare it to something, someplace like Detroit, it's small. But... Growing up there, it's, you know, I'm not going to say I had it rough. I, I lived in, like, the suburban part of Saginaw. Okay. But it was just a small town. Everybody knew everybody. If you're from Saginaw, it's like that Kevin Bacon, what is that thing called? Oh, like Six uh, Degrees of Separation? Yes. Yes. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. That is basically <laughs> living, living in Saginaw. You know everybody, or somebody knows you from somebody. Yeah, but living living there, it it built me up. It built who who I became to be, you know. And that's you know where I fell in love with art. You know, we didn't, we don't really have 
an art scene. Well, not that I know of now, but at the time, there wasn't really an art scene in Saginaw, mm-hmm. but there were always comic book stores. And that is where I found my love for art in the comic book store. My folks would take me to a 7-Eleven, and there would be that lonely stand of uh, comics just rotating in my in my face. And mm-hmm. that's where the love came from, you know? And then I found actual comic book stores to just peruse and look at, you know? And it just grew up from there, you know? Yeah. Marvel or DC? I am neutral. <laughs> Oh, come on. Okay. I, All right. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I have I have a ton of favorites on both sides. I love Batman. <laughs> I love Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. All so, right. Did you watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League? I, I did. I did. And that, I'm still astounded by the differences that mm-hmm. that movie has. I watched the original one, the, the Whedon version, before I watched the... The Snyder one. Yeah. And it's just night and day. Really? <laughs> yes, man. It's it's just so night and day. I'm still astounded by it. Like, I don't think there hasn't been a director's cut that is this drastically different from what was put in, into the theater since, like, Blade Runner. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. I loved it. I loved the Snyder Cut. I'm I'm sad that it wasn't the first movie that I saw mm-hmm. <laughs> in 2017, but I'm glad it came out because it was everything a comic book person would probably want. Does it help if you kind of watch it from like a 2017 perspective? Because that's when the original Justice League movie came out. Because I was wondering like if it had aged over the years since it's been kind of in obscurity because of the, the studios and everything. I don't think it aged necessarily. There's still a bad joke in there too. There's definitely like some yeah. bad, not cringeworthy, but it's like eye rollable. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's four hours. Like there's gotta be some, <laughs> there's gotta be something there. That's, oh, everything can't be a hit. It's not, it's not. There's like, have you seen it or I have not seen it. And I, okay. I refuse. Oh, okay. Refuse is a strong word. I don't feel that DC has earned enough goodwill for me from their current movie offerings to sit through four hours of that. Understandable. Understandable. <laughs> like I did watch Justice League. I didn't go to the. Did I go to the movies to see Justice League? I don't remember. I did see Justice League. I have not seen like Suicide Squad or the Harley Quinn movie. They just didn't interest me and that's not to say i'm not a dc fan i am a dc fan i'm kind of pretty split between marvel and dc myself but i feel like marvel does better live action movies dc does better animated movies yeah yeah that's definitely the case yeah because the latest animation no i think that was i think the latest one they did was like a a batman movie Mm -hmm. but the few animated ones that I've seen have been just like this is the same company. So it's, yeah. it's just like the quality is, is far beyond the uh, what you would get with the live action stuff. Right. But I mean, the, I mean, the, I the writing is good. The art, I mean, they all have a consistent art style. They have that kind of Bruce Tim sort of art style and they take bold strokes in terms of storytelling. Like it's not yeah. all canon types of things they go they you have justice league dark you've got i think they did one on with the apocalypse war like they go they take broad strokes in terms of storytelling that of course with live action would probably be expensive and and risky to do but with animation it's probably cheaper i would imagine yeah that and that's partly why it's the more superior brand but i will say like i did enjoy birds of prey i i enjoyed shazam that mm-hmm. was like a nice little. Oh, Shazam family. was good. Shazam was good. I forgot about Shazam. There's a DC. Yeah. 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 Like Shazam was good. Aquaman was good. But the fact that they shelved this version of Justice League is just one of the most baffling things in my in my entire viewpoint. Because like there had to be a way to trim just trim it down to two hours. Yeah. Like. 
How long was the original Thanks. Justice League? The what? The one that came out in theaters? Yeah, it was like under two hours, I think. Oh wow! But the way, uh, like Josh, from what I'm from what I'm guessing, like Josh Whedon reshot like a whole bunch of of everything. Not really, because even the the ending, the endings are like completely contrast of each other. It is just an interesting thing to see, just to see how different this movie came out to be. You're convincing me to to see it because I don't remember that much from the original Justice League, except for like the showdown where they all fought Superman. And I remember Cyborg. It felt like Cyborg was a bigger part of the story, or was at least a substantial part of the story in the original. And then from what I've heard, he's he has a much more substantial role in the Snyder cut. So the the part where they're fighting Superman, that's still the same. Most still mostly the same. The, okay. the way it ends is slightly different. But Cyborg is like the main character in this movie to me. Oh. Like once you get into the later parts of it, he is like the heart and soul of this movie. Yeah. I feel like I just repeated like a critic somewhere. But yeah, he's <laughs> but it's the truth. It's it's the truth. And the fact that his entire storyline was just cut for a for him to say booyah at the end, just like <laughs> it 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 was weird to see. So I would say if you do watch it, watch it because it's cut in chapters. So I would watch it in chapters, honestly. Okay, so it's not just a full four-hour yeah. slog. You can like watch no. a chapter, come back to it. Yeah, so I would watch it in chapters because it's worth to see. I think it's worth seeing that version of the story. Okay, honestly. all right, you've convinced me. I, I say this like I won't sit through and watch like four hours of Bridgerton or something like that. So I can watch. <laughs> I can watch Justice League. You talked about earlier going to going to school for. For art, you went to Detroit College for Creative Studies. What was that like? What was your time like there? It was pretty interesting because before that, I went to my high school was called uh, Saginaw Arts and Sciences Academy. Okay, and it was a school that you know focused basically on sciences and arts. <laughs> it had a, it had a heavy focus on like the the visual arts performing arts like theater dance and then you had like your 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 global studies your your biology your 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 scientific aspects so it was it was kind of a unique school experience then so it kind of prepared me for when i did go to detroit to uh go to ccs mm-hmm. it was just more of a more of a expansive view on art you know because i'm in this i'm in this place where there's different personalities different styles that was an eye-opener that was a real introduction to just a lot of people that i still know to this day honestly it was an eye-opening it was a good experience for not only social wise but it was a good experience for you know me growing in my art and my craft because I I've I learned so much at that school and it's just a lot of things I still carry with me to this day and as it should because it was expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a good tool. It, it, the professors there were amazing and there's still people I still talk to to this day and they still helped me out in my career. So it's I think it was a good experience. It was a good um, good thing to utilize. It's still a good thing to utilize to this day. So. Nice. It's so interesting because I, I often hear the opposite from people that say they went to an arts college. They're like, eh, it was okay. Or like that it didn't really prepare them for, you know, kind of going out into the working world, doing what they do. But it sounds like you had a, a great experience. That's good. Well, I will say it, there were there were those parts too. There were those parts too, like the the long nights of of trying to finish pro- projects, and it was more so focused on our craft 
And uh, there's there are like classes here and there, but the actual business side of of the art world. But it was more so more so focused on bettering us as artists. I would say I learned more about the business side of of like illustration, for instance. I learned more so about the business side of that just through experience, honestly. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So what were kind of some of your first work experiences when you graduated? It was more so just freelancing. Because when I, when, I, when I graduated, I moved back to Saginaw. Um, and then I was just, just more so just freelancing. So it started off with like poster, event posters, um, mixtape covers, album covers, logos. And then it grew into, you know, more more grander things like full on album designs and like full promotional um, promotional designs or promotional releases or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just grew, and then uh, I started getting like actual clients, like music or like uh, ESPN or Complex. Yeah, I see you've done some work with like some pretty big, uh, big brands and big clients. When you look back at those past projects, what did they teach you? Patience, <laughs> patience. <laughs> definite patience. I mean, I I consider myself a pretty patient person as is, but freelance can can bring bring a side out, <laughs> bring a side out of you. But uh, I would say patience and. And just seeing a project through the through the end, I think that part a lot of people it's hard to get to the end, honestly, with some projects because of of the time put in, the energy. There may be like changes after changes after changes, but just seeing a project through to the end is like one of the most satisfying things, no matter how you feel about the project itself. But just seeing it through the end is like a, a satisfying feeling in itself. So I think that, yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, aside from that, you've also done like a lot of collaborative projects. You know, we talked about the Revolutionary Times, of course, being being probably one of the bigger ones. But for you, what's the value of collaborating on projects? I think collaboration opens your opens your world up to other people's viewpoints, other people's creative roles or creative ways of doing things. And I think if you find that right person that you can mesh with, you could bring something like something pretty cool to the table. Like I've done aside from working with like Brandon, I've done like collaborations with there was one guy there, it's, uh his name is CJ Johnson. We worked on we worked on like a, a full graphic novel. I think what was it? it was called Key uh, Killed or Be Killed, but it wasn't like some action type of graphic novel. It was like it was a story about rich black man, like Manhattan type of, of people, like Bohemian style characters. It was just a story that you typically wouldn't see in a comic book. It's just telling of, of the life of these classy but but still kind of edgy characters and it was just it was just something I had never done before because I was just used to doing like funny comic strips and whatnot. So it, that for instance is something that I would see as like a, a good collaboration because it was a mixture of of something that I've never experienced before which I think bettered me as an artist to be able to tell CJ's story. So I think if you find that right collaborator, yeah, something, something, uh, something magical might come out of it. And now, and I'm mentioning this not to, not in any sort of disparaging way, but you have a full-time job that doesn't deal with art. I'm not going to ask you what that job is. (laughs) I know you have a full-time job that doesn't deal with art, but how do you balance the two? How do you balance having the, that sort of extra time to pursue your creative passions? It is very difficult. <laughs> it is almost impossible. There was 
unfortunately a year or two where it was impossible because of how this job just took out my energy, especially, well, I will say it, it is an essential job. So I was pretty much still working all, all last year. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So last year being like one of those years where it was just, it was just difficult to actually do art, you know? So it, it can get to you. It can overcome like your, your passion, but I think that you just got to find a balance because at the time I didn't really, it was impossible. It was, it was impossible to really get a balance of yeah. work and, and getting time to be creative. But I just had to set time. I had, had to set time aside because this is something I want to do. I don't want to do this job, the essential job for the rest yeah. of my life. I want to do art for the rest of my life. You know, so I just I just had to set time. I had to do what I can. So if it, it was just like taking a, a little sketchbook and just sneaking in some art in the middle of the job, you know, I had to do what I could just to, mm -hmm. just to be like, hey, I am still an artist. You know, yeah. this is what I want to do, you know. So it it's hard. It's it's hard. I'm still dealing with it to this day. So, but yeah. It's, it's, it's just something you just got to keep pushing for, you know? What would it look like for you to be a full-time illustrator or full-time graphic artist, I'll say? Definitely would have, wouldn't have to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, it's not fun. <laughs> I would say just being able to spend time on projects, you know, whether it be just one main project or small multiple projects just taking time out of my day to work on on, this, on these different ideals because in my head i have a lot of ideas just just running around in my head that i never have time to to actually get out yeah but being a full-time artist that would just open up that time to be like all right this will be my my hour of personal creativity food and then another hour of professional work and whatnot and yeah it would just be a day full of creating basically and that's just what i would want just be able to just to be able to to create whether it is just a sketch or something more uh more polished basically yeah who are some of your artistic influences like names or, or genres both the first name that pops up in my head, his name is, well, there's a couple of names, but John Ramita, Ramita Jr., Chris Bichalo, Aaron Magruder, obviously. Um, LaShawn Thomas, he did a, well, he worked on the Boondocks, but he also has his own anime that's on Netflix right now. Cannon Busters or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Cannon Busters. That's exactly it. There's a few other names. J. Scott Campbell. He uh he did a, a comic book called Danger Girl. I remember Danger Girl. I, I actually have yeah. two of those issues. I think of Danger Girl. I love Danger Girl. I loved his work. Just how detailed his work was. And uh, oh no, I'm going to ruin his name. The creator of Cowboy Bebop, Watanabe. Watanabe. Shinichiro Watanabe. Yes. Yes. I'm a nerd over here. I know stuff. <laughs> There's like a thousand others, but those are the ones that pop up to me like first and foremost. Yeah. Chris Piccolo's work on like early stage Gen X, Generation X and like the, I think that had, that had to be in the 90s, 90s or early 2000s. That his work is so indelibly seared into my mind when I think about just like, great comic work. And I mean, he did some work for the larger X books too, but particularly with generation X, I just have a big fondness for that team uh, in general. Yeah. And they were done so dirty with that movie on Fox in 96. I think it was 96 when they had the, the generation X movie. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking it's, about. I'm sure it's on YouTube. If, if you're listening and you want to find it, I mean, first of all, buyer beware. It's very bad, but like, <laughs> 
And I think it was like one of the first, if not the first, well, not one of the first, because I'm sure they had like Fantastic Four shows and, and movies and stuff, but like to come out of the, the sort of mutant X kind of realm. I mean, Generation X was just so bad. I hate how bad it was. Yeah. No, that was like the first live action thing they did with X-Men. Yeah, I mean... They had, they, they had like the animated show and whatnot, but that was like the very first live action. Then they went on to like the, the movies, but yeah, it was... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Jubilee was played by a white girl. Like, come on. It was so bad. It was so bad. And they got a British woman to play Emma, but like maybe Emma's mom. Like, she was way too old to be playing Emma. It was... It's not good. It just wasn't good yeah. at all. <laughs> they deserve better. Although I'm glad I'm glad Monet, who was my favorite. I mean, I didn't like how she was portrayed in the movie, but she was my favorite of the team that she's now part of like the main X team now. Although I, I still need to I'm so behind on the comics now, especially Marvel stuff. I just catch a trade paperback here and there because that's the best I can do these days. Right. What's the best advice you've been given about what you do? This advice isn't necessarily exclusively on what I do, but it's it's one that sticks for me the most. And it's advice that my dad always gives me. Like whenever it's involved like a project or involves anything, just life in general. But it's like if you do something, do it to the best of your ability. And if you do something, see it all the way through. And that is literally what runs in my mind every time I do something. So it's just like, if I do something, I have to do, do it to the point where you, you, when you look at this, you know that I drew it. You know that I was a part of this project somehow. And just being able to finish it all the way through, like I said before, like that, it's just a wonderful, wonderful feeling no matter what project you do, because it's, it's a feeling of accomplishment, you know? So I think it has nothing specifically to do with art, but that advice that my dad gave me, that my dad gives me like all the time, that's like the one thing that pops in my head all the time. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to do or that you'd love to work on one day? I would love to storyboard for a movie. Like, well, I take that back. I would love, for instance, to make the revolutionary times into a movie like that's like a top goal basically but i would love to to do some kind of work work for like a major production like storyboarding or character design or something like that like a personal goal would be to to draw a deadpool comic i don't even have to do like a series just give me like a a few pages or something (laughs) that's that's definitely a goal yeah, I would just love to be able to work on something that's a big production. Just be able to have like my style on something that's going to be seen by millions of eyes. That's something I would love to do. Yeah. What is uh, keeping you motivated and inspired these days? I think the one thing that's been motivating me has been, because I follow a lot of artists, like on all my social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that. Just seeing like all this work that, you know, people are able to to create, even in the midst of all this insanity that we're dealing with, you know, it's that's inspiring to see like the different styles, the different techniques, you know, techniques that you could bring back to your own work and try and see if that's something that you can adapt to your own style. And that's just like the way of artists. You're constantly growing. You're constantly building yourself up to be like the better part of what you were before. You're always transforming. You're always evolving, basically. So I think that's like one of the one of the ways that I keep motivated. Just trying to elevate myself trying to see what i can do differently or see what i can you know mix up to create something that i i haven't done before and and then there's always just taking a day off and and watching anime for 
all day. <laughs> that, that's one way to do it as well. So it's a lot of ways. It's a lot of ways that yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be inspired. What shows are you watching right now? Honestly, I've just been rewatching Cowboy, Cowboy Bebop and uh, Samurai Chamberlain. Okay. That, when I'm down, when I'm not sure what to do, it's always just pull up Cowboy Bebop and just run through a couple of those episodes. <laughs> I did start rewatching Attack on Titan, which is traumatic to say the least. Um, <laughs> There was another show that I just finished watching. It's on Hulu. No Guns Life, I think it's called. Okay. That's what I started watching. It, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty, like, interesting concept to it. For the most part, I just go back to the classics. Like, I'm yeah. always open for people to to give me some, some new ones to, to catch. Because I feel like that's, it's like comics. Like, yeah. that's another thing that I'm trying to catch back up on. Because I'm still trying to find the the new joints, basically. Yeah. What sort of, like, genre of anime do you like the best? Like, comedy, action, supernatural? I like a little bit of hybrid, you know? I like the ones that have, like, a mix of comedy and action to it. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, like, one of my favorite ones is Trigon. And that has, like, the comedy, mm-hmm. that has the slapstick comedy, the action to it the serious tones so that has like a little bit of everything yeah i think the one that i fell in love with was like the more so space space standard ones because then you had like you had gundam you had cowboy bebop outlaw star a lot of those like space centered um stories mm-hmm. i would like think tsunami and the sci-fi channel for all that but you know (laughs) (laughs) i would say i like a mixture of of all the genres like all the genres i would say like the hybrid ones where you're you have these funny moments you have like your stressful moments as well you know so yeah did you see god what's the one because you're mentioning one i'm wondering if you saw it because it did come on tsunami i think that tsunami adult swim uh what was it called eureka seven did you see that i did not see Eureka Seven. no no that i haven't seen i think that's one of the ones on my list that i have to sit down and watch yeah because there's i have like a list of like so many movies and anime that i just haven't watched yet and it's it's a long list and i don't think i'm ever gonna get through it at this point but it's it's on there (laughs) okay I'll also give you a recommendation, but this one is pretty old school. You might have to, I think it's probably on, it's got to be on one of the anime streaming services like Crunchyroll or Verve or something like that. But Legend of the Galactic Heroes, it's an old one. It's like an 80s anime. So it's got that different kind of 80s anime style, but very complex storytelling. It's set in space. It's very much a space I was going to say space opera. That's kind of the best way to put it. It's like a military space opera kind of thing. Hmm. You said it's called Legend of the, the Galactic Heroes? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty long, though. It's over 100 episodes, so it's not a, it's oh, not a quick wow. one. <laughs> it's not a quick oh, watch. It's one, it's one of those. Yeah. yeah. I think Eureka 7 is like 26, like a standard like 26-episode thing. But it's not as long as like Naruto, which is what, 500-something episodes or more? Yeah, so. yeah. See, it, when you get to the, the shows that have, like, 1,500 seasons, like Naruto and and One Piece, like, yeah. I, I'm just not going to be able to get into that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll enjoy the references along with everybody else, but yeah, I can't sit down and watch... 500 hours of Naruto. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I think the last modern anime that I watched, I'm saying modern, like within the past five years, it was either, it was a couple. It was SSS.Gridman, which was pretty good. I watched Persona 5, the animation, because I played the video game. Mm. And, oh God, this one called Inuyashiki, which is kind of a, uh, I'll say it's an acquired taste. It's like, I think it's like a 13 episode series 
the protagonist is an old, I don't want to spoil it, but the protagonist is an old man that is also like a heavy robot arsenal. Sure. It's an interesting story. I'll put it in the chat so you can, you can see it, but it's a, it's an interesting story. Inu Yashiki, there were some clips of it floating around in like 2017 or so because I think Donald Trump is featured at some point in the anime. It's kind of out there. It's pretty, I won't say it's morbid, but you know what? You watch it and you tell me what you think about it. Also, for those of you that are out there listening, if y'all have seen it, let me know what you think about it. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what, what do you want to be doing? Well, hopefully not waking up at four o'clock in the morning every day. Amen to that. <laughs> the, the only thing I would love, I would definitely love to be saying that I would be hoping to be doing in five years is just still doing art, just still still creating. I can't honestly say what would what the next five years would look like, but I would just hope it's it has me creating something whether it's illustration or, or even doing that big um, production, doing art for that, you know? Mm-hmm. I just want to be able to keep, be able to be able to create, basically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, maybe maybe I'll be a part of a, a studio or, or still doing my own thing, you know, freelancing. Or maybe, maybe Brandon and I, are able to take revolutionary times and, and make it to a bigger platform. It's a lot to say. Five years is like, you never know. We didn't know what last year would be like. So that's true. That's very true. That, you know, so like at this point, I'm just like, I can't make any plans. Like, yeah. cause life is, life is very weird. <laughs> life is way too weird to, make plans i mean plan making is still important you don't don't go through life without a plan but just know that life can always throw that one curveball and just like oh hey there's there's your plan in the in the bottom of the ocean somewhere (laughs) i just would say i want to be able to still be creating in five years so just to wrap things up here, Sean, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and your projects and everything online? I guess the main place, Instagram, uh, Silent Smack, all one word. I am on Twitter. Follow me if you if, if you want. It's not much art on there. Shizuka Sam. I can't spell it out right now, but it, Shizuka Sam on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then Rev Times on Twitter. Rev Times on Instagram and zorevtimes.com for the comics. My personal site, smackillustrations.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, Sean Mack, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. But first of all, I was really just excited to talk to you because I've been following your work for such a long time the revolutionary times and everything. So it was good to actually talk to you about kind of the process and everything behind it. And I think certainly with the work that you're doing, the fact that you are such a keen collaborator and that, you know, you're putting work out there that speaks to people. I hope that's something that you will continue to keep doing throughout the years. Cause I mean, the work that you're doing, I can see, I could see this blowing up. I really can. Like, we got to find a way to break you out of Michigan, but I can see your work blowing up in the next few years. So hopefully folks that are listening, make sure you check out Sean's work. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Big, big thanks to Sean Mack. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sean and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. 
This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about Revision Path overall? You'll have a chance to really tell me that because we're going to be doing our audience survey pretty soon. But hey, in the meantime, don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let the world know about Revision Path because it really, really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.